Good morning. Hope all of y'all are having a had a great Thanksgiving. Welcome, uh, welcome back. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dalton Messer. I'm a seminary intern with Pastor Brian, uh, and while I've had the privilege of being a table leader, um, Sam wanted me to give him a shout out. That wasn't for his shout out, but there you go, Sam. Um, for the past, I've been a table leader for about the past year and a half now. Uh, and I've also been able to um, be a small group leader at summer retreat several times. Um, but I realize that several of you may not know me or uh, don't know me very well. And so first, I just want to take a little bit of time, a few minutes to share uh, how the Lord has worked in my life and brought me to know him, uh, just to kind of have you get to know me better. So I grew up in Op, uh, had two little brothers one, uh, Walker, who's three years younger than me, and then Hank, who is, uh, he'll be 18 on Tuesday. I don't know what happened there. Um, and so we, we grew up in a small town uh, in Op, very uh, like Christian culture, saturated with the gospel. Uh, having Walker, just three years younger than me, uh, had a pretty strong, intense uh, sibling rivalry, as some of you may know and experience yourself. Um, and growing up in op, the very, with the very Christian culture that it is, kind of had this expectation on myself to be a Christian. Um, and really, like for the, what it would buy me, right? The, the image that it would give me before everyone else, right? And so that, along with the, the intense sibling rivalry that I had, one year after, um, an upwards basketball award ceremony, which if you don't know what upwards is, it's a church league basketball. Uh, and at the end of it, they have this uh, award ceremony where some like magician or uh, puppeteer guy comes and he does his thing and works in a gospel presentation at the end of it. And it leads whoever wants to follow Jesus through the sinner's prayer if they would uh, want to ask Jesus into their heart. And so at the end of that ceremony, my parents come down to get me and my brother, and as soon as they walk up, my little brother says, Mom, Dad, guess what? I prayed the prayer. And so that sibling rivalry, right, and that expectation to, to be a follower of Jesus that I have, uh, in that moment, I thought, I was supposed to do that first, right? I'm the big brother. I'm supposed to be the first one to follow Jesus, you know, lead by example, all those good things. And so I like instantaneously said, oh, I did too, right? I prayed the prayer and invited Jesus into my heart. Now, I hadn't prayed the prayer. That was a lie. But even if I had in that moment, I didn't understand my sin or my need for a Savior and, yeah, wasn't walking in repentance, wasn't confessing Christ as Lord. And so growing up in that Christian culture, though, we knew all the answers to the catechism, the Sunday school questions, you know, of like, hey, are you really worthy of being baptized and, and being called a follower of Jesus? And so we were both baptized uh, together uh, in Ino. Um, and then I began to live uh, the lie, right? I, I sold this lie that I was a follower of Jesus, and now it's time to prove it, right? To get the things that I want, to get the image and the trust that I wanted in order to be able to get the things that I want from people, uh, I'm going to have to live the lie, right? And so... Did a pretty good job, sold it pretty well. Um, 
was a good kid. You know, had a, was a leader in the youth group at Westview, um, the church I grew up in, and then uh, was kind of known as a good kid in high school. Um, was a friend to people who didn't have many friends, uh, served and, and did all kinds of things uh, for the school. And so then uh, senior year rolled around, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Didn't really have a, like a strong passion or desire to go be one particular thing. Uh, and so I decided to go to the University of South Alabama in Mobile uh, to, be, to major in marine biology and pre-pharmacy. And uh, my thought was, you know, I'm good old country boy, grew up hunting, fishing, uh, loving the outdoors. Pharmacist, you know, they don't have a really like labor intensive job. Uh, it's pretty physically easy, right? And so I can go, and yet they get paid pretty well, right? So I can go be a pharmacist, not have to work real hard, make a lot of money, and buy big trucks, a nice house, uh, a nice boat you know, and do all the fishing that I would ever want to do. And so I moved to Mobile to go to South, and um, it was the first time that I had lived, uh, like, outside of my parents' supervision, right? I'm on my own, relying on my own discipline and responsibility for the first time in my life. And college is very different than high school in terms of academia, at least from ops perspective. Uh, And so I didn't have very good study habits going into college. I played a ton of basketball at the rec center and stayed up late playing uh, NCAA and Call of Duty on the Xbox, right? And so by the end of the semester, um, I finished that semester with a 1.6 GPA, which is, if you are unaware, really bad, really bad. Uh, and I was just kind of, I'd come to this place where I was just really depressed, really broken, um, living in, in darkness, uh, I had stopped going to church um, and begun asking myself questions late at night as I laid awake um, about God and, and what is you know, the point of this life. I don't know if God is real, and if I don't know that God is real, then I don't know really what's going to happen uh, after I die. And so I concluded that maybe the best thing for me to do would be just to live for my own happiness, right? And so I moved home because I was very unhappy in Mobile, away from my parents with a 1.6 GPA. You're not going to get into pharmacy school with a 1.6. You, you might get in with a 3.5. You're not going to get in with a 1.6. And so, yeah, moved home to get a fresh start with college, to be back with my family, uh, and to be back uh, with the girl that I had been dating uh, since uh, 10th grade of high school. And so within maybe a week or two of moving back home, you can probably guess what happens. The girl that I had kind of made uh, the this epicenter of my happiness for life, right? my purpose, I thought I can move back home, be with her, and having a family with her will be my purpose, right? That girl, about a week or two after I moved back home, dumped me, right? Gone, right? Everything that I put my hope in, all the things that I put my hope and joy in had just walked out right? Never to come a return, you know, as, as it looked. And so I was pretty, like, I thought I was depressed. That happened, and I go even further into the pit, right? Into the darkness. And over the next few weeks, I decided, you know, I'm not going to be this guy whose life is ruined because a girl broke up with him. I can find, there are lots of girls out there 
I'm sure I can find one to go have this um, happy family with and, and uh, experience uh, the, the joy of being a family. And so started dating another girl, and as you could imagine, it just did not fill the void, right, as it won't. Um, and I was kind of confused. I didn't understand why uh, am I not finding fulfillment? Why am I not finding satisfaction in, in this relationship? Uh, and then I don't really know how to explain it. Um, one morning in early January, I was getting ready to go hunting with my dad. And uh, so it was like 3.30 in the morning or something like that. Um, and the Lord began speaking to me. And I don't know, like it wasn't an audible voice, but I could feel him speaking to me. And uh, I, when, when you hear or feel someone speaking to, me, to you, you know that they're real, right? I can't deny his existence anymore. And uh, I, I knew that I had been in rebellion against him and his kingdom uh, all of my life. In living the lie that I had told uh, as a kid that I believed in Jesus and was a follower of him, um, but then especially in the last six months of like just totally walking away from the church and uh, living for my own satisfaction and, and uh, pleasure. And knowing that he is the creator of the universe and that I have been in rebellion of him and his kingdom, I became utterly terrified, right? I knew the wrath and condemnation that stood over my head in God's judgment, and I was terrified, right? If he's an almighty creator, his wrath has got to be nothing that I can conceive. Um, and so the very next thing, though, that the Holy Spirit brought to my mind was that God's not angry with me, right? He gave his son, Jesus, on the cross in my place to take away the wrath and condemnation that I deserved, right? He took the judgment that I deserved so that I could be restored to God. And just like I hit my knees in tears and thankfulness uh, and gratitude to Jesus, uh, like a tidal wave of peace just, just washed over me. Um, and I surrendered my life to Jesus. I began to love God. And so over the next few uh, months, I began uh, going back to church uh, in Op and being discipled by uh, a guy there in the local church and reading the Word. And I began to see that, man, what we're created for is to know God and to love Him, right? That's what He made us for, right? And you see it in the very first story of the Bible, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, right? He makes man, he puts him in a garden, and God walks with him, right? He says, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? The, the, the picture there is that Adam and Eve are filling the earth with the image of God. And so we are made to know him, to love him, and to make him known, to tell of his good works and his good deeds. And so uh, as I was reading the Word and seeing these things and being in the local church, I felt uh, I, I learned about uh, the unreached people groups, right, who don't have access to this good news. And I was broken, right? I felt a call of God to go uh, take the gospel to uh, those who don't have access to it. And over the next uh, couple of years, wound up coming to Auburn, uh, getting a degree in horticulture, and now I'm a pastoral intern under uh, Pastor Brian. And so I share that, one, so that you can know a little bit more about me, right? Uh, but two, to tell of the good works that God has done in my own life, right? Maybe another reason 
for anyone who may be experiencing things that I have experienced, right? And you're looking, you're in darkness. You're, you're without hope. And you need the hope of Jesus, right? You need the hope of God in your life. But then also just to say, man, I'm so thankful for Lakeview and uh, the work that God has done in and through Lakeview um, through Brother Al and the intern program in the past. The pastor at the church that I went to uh, was a former intern and there have been so many other uh, interns and people who have come to Lakeview and been uh, grown by the Holy Spirit here and had an incredible influence on my life and brought me closer to Jesus. And so, yeah, I'm thankful to God for you guys and for um, the opportunity to be an intern here and, yeah, the opportunity for the Lord to work. And so uh, with that, uh, we kind of see the work of God through the church, right, in the world. And we'll dive in to uh, Acts 12, where we will continue to see the work of God through the church in the world. And so before I read the passage, I want to offer just a little bit of background information for us. Um, so, so far in Acts, we've seen the Holy Spirit continuing uh, the work of Jesus through the apostles and spreading the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth. This chapter in chapter 12 is going to serve as sort of a transition point as Luke is going to go from highlighting the work um, among the Jews through Peter and the church to the missionary journeys of Paul uh, as the word begins to spread uh, to the Gentiles. But not only that, this chapter is also full of rich truths that are going to point us to the resurrection of Jesus and um, the exodus from uh, or of God's people from Egypt into uh, his holy land, promised land. Um, and we're also going to see that God sits enthroned above creation, and he alone is worthy of all honor and glory and praise, just as he was in uh, the story of the resurrection and in the story of Exodus. Uh, he is the one orchestrating the fulfillment of the Great Commission, and he cannot be stopped. So with that, we'll dive in. Uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, the king laid violent hand, I'm sorry, about that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on uh, some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him, uh, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when the church was about to bring him out, when Herod, I'm sorry, now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains uh, and sentries before the uh, door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And when he went out, and followed him, he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first 
and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and when they went out and went along one street, and immediately uh, the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose, name, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand uh, to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day, had come, when day came, uh, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had, uh, had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came uh, to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robe, uh, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give glory, give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So, uh, first off, we see uh, the reign of Herod. Luke sets the stage with growing opposition to the church. Uh, he makes several links back to the Exodus story uh, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Herod and the Jews are painted as uh, a new Pharaoh and Egypt opposing the church uh, and God's people. They are the offspring of the serpent. Just as Pharaoh kind of had this, you know, you, the pictures you've seen of Pharaoh, he has this headdress and he looks kind of like a cobra, right? He's an image of the serpent, right? Here, Herod is likewise uh, being offered as an image of the serpent. Um, Herod's grandfather had... Uh, was the same Herod that had uh, the infants um, put to death in an attempt to kill uh, Jesus, uh, just as Pharaoh himself had the Hebrew children put to death in the Exodus, right? And here, Herod attempts to murder the church in its infancy as he violently lays hands on the brothers. This is the same phrase, violently laid hands, is the same phrase that Jesus or that Luke uses when Jesus is arrested. Luke uh, identifies James as the brother of John, flashing us back to John the Baptist as the forerunner of Jesus. 
who then is beheaded by Herod, just as uh, John had been. And Peter is then imprisoned, right, and waiting, and awaiting what will surely be his death after Passover, uh, which links us also back to not only Exodus, but also uh, the story of Jesus and his crucifixion and resurrection. And so we see, like, under the reign of Herod, under the reign of the rulers of this world, the future for the church can at times look very, very bleak. But in the next verse, uh, we see that the church is praying earnestly, right? This is the same uh, word in the Greek, uh, praying, the, the word in the Greek uh, is the imperfect tense, which gives uh, like the indication that their prayer is ongoing, it's continual, right? It's not that they prayed for Peter, it's that they are even in this moment praying for Peter. Uh, and then also in the Greek, you see the word uh, earnestly is the same word that Luke uses for uh, Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, um, the night before his crucifixion, right? And so that those two, the, the church is praying continually and the earnest prayer of it, which points us back to Jesus, gives us this glimmer of hope, right, that even though Jesus was crucified, right, he rose, God raised him from the, from the dead, right? And so there's this little glimmer of hope that even though Peter has been imprisoned, even though Herod has uh, put to death James, there's a glimmer of hope, right? God still may bring deliverance for us out of this. And you get this picture painted of uh, the church uh, just entrenched in battle, right, with the spiritual forces uh, of this world. Not against flesh and blood, but uh, against the foes of God's kingdom. And so then next up, you see the release of Peter. The odds are stacked against Peter as uh, Herod makes every effort to ensure that uh, Peter is unable to escape. With the doubling of the guard, um, Peter's freedom would be virtually impossible without the hand of God at work. And yet, all the while, what is Peter doing? He's asleep, right? Sound asleep. Chained to guards on either side, in prison, awaiting his death, and he's sleeping, right? Luke is giving us this, this connotation that uh, Peter has peace and contentment with whatever the Lord is going to do in this situation, right? Uh, and which, which points us back, right, to Gethsemane where uh, Jesus, just as, as Luke used the same language uh, to describe Peter's, or, uh, Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, and Jesus eventually cries out uh, to God, yet not my will, Lord, but yours, right? Um, Peter you know, is asleep at peace in contentment with whatever the Lord may will, right? I'm sure, right, God, or uh, Peter wants release, right? The church wants release, and yet they most certainly have been praying for James, who was also put to death, right? But that does not mean that the prayers of the church went unanswered, right? We see that in Jesus' prayer, where does he come? He comes to a place of submission to God. And here, as Peter's asleep, you get the same uh, picture as, as Peter is in submission to God's will, right? Uh, 
And so uh, the angel of the Lord comes, wakes Peter up, has him get dressed, and the shackles fall off his, uh, off his hands, and the angel of the Lord leads him through the iron gates. Uh, just as Moses and the angel of the Lord in the Exodus story lead Israel out of slavery to Egypt, right? They're coming out of slavery. Peter's shackles are falling off. He's going through the iron gate just as the waters are parted and uh, Israel walks through. And just as the uh, gates of hell cannot hold the church back, right? Just as uh, the, the fangs of death cannot hold Jesus in the grave, the iron gates swing open and the angel of the Lord leads Peter um, out into freedom. Nothing can stand in the way of the Lord. And yet, all the while this is happening, right? Peter wakes up and puts his clothes on. Shackles are falling off of his hands. It still seems as though he's sort of half asleep, right? He doesn't really know what's going on. He, ass- he assumes it to be a vision. It's not reality, right? Maybe he's thinking, this is, this is, maybe this is his like, one hope. This is the only way that something... Uh, like that I would be able to have freedom here is that if something like this were to happen. Uh, But then he comes to, he realizes that this is reality. God has been at work, right? He has brought deliverance to me. And how often, right, is, is that our experience, right? How often is the Lord at work in our life, bringing us through some, uh, trial or temptation, uh, and we are, oblivious to what he's doing in our life, right? We fail to give him the honor and glory and praise that he's due in the midst of our uh, tribulation. And so when he comes to, he goes to the house of Mary where the servant girl Rhoda is the first witness of Peter's resurrection just as Mary was the first witness of Jesus' resurrection. Peter comes uh, out and goes to the church appears to a congregation of gathered people, right? Just as Jesus goes and appears to uh, the church. Uh, and just as the disciples didn't or couldn't believe that Jesus had rose from the grave, so here the, the church is in utter disbelief that Peter has, that God has worked to bring Peter out of certain death, right? Out of uh, the imprisonment. And so Peter stands in stark contrast to Herod as he begins to explain how the Lord has worked in his life. Herod seeks to take the glory for himself, as you'll see. And Peter, on the other hand, is giving honor and glory and praise to the Lord, right? This is not the work that Peter has done. Peter could not do this for himself, right? He recognizes that and he proclaims the goodness of God and the work that he has done in his life. And then just as um, Jesus, after he appears to the church, right, rises and ascends into heaven to go sit at the uh, right hand of God, Peter here is going to go to another place, right, to make way for Paul and Barnabas to come in and for the work of the church to continue uh, spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so then finally, we see the reign of Jesus as Herod is ultimately and finally defeated. Herod comes and gives a speech uh, for which he is applauded and said to be a god, right? He is, this picture is painted that he's bringing peace 
among his people, though all the while he has brought death and imprisonment to the church. And he takes the glory for himself. When the people, he comes and he sits on the throne, he's dressed in his robes, he's giving this uh, speech, and he's, he's painted as this king, right? And the people say, look, he is a god. And Herod takes the glory for himself. But the true king of kings and the Lord of lords has had enough. Herod's demise has come. He falls over, dead, and is eaten by worms. Right? He who sought to have authority over life and death and the bodies of others has now succumbed to death, right? And the worms are given authority over his own body. He is turned back into dust. God continues to reign victorious. He will not let his glory be given to another, right? He is jealous for his own glory, and he will have it. All those who oppose him will fall. He will not be stopped. And so just as Jesus taught uh, in his parables, the kingdom of God continues to spread. Uh, it multiplies uh, by the work of God alone, right? In his wisdom, God may often... Uh, sorry, I lost my place. May often send refining fires uh, to the church, just as James, the brother of John, is put to death, and as Peter goes into imprisonment, just as uh, Israel had been in slavery to Egypt uh, for the 400 years, and just as Jesus is put to death on the cross, right? Persecution and grief, refining fires of all sorts may come, and yet they are not here to stop the work of God. They're not going to thwart His purposes and His uh, desires for our lives. His wisdom is that in these fires, our love for Him and our faith in Him is refined. As sometimes He may work deliverance in our eyes, and other times He may bring about His glory in another way. And so the scene then closes uh, with the entrance of Paul Barnabas and John Mark leaving uh, their famine relief ministry there in Jerusalem to go carry on the advancement of the gospel uh, to the Gentiles that we'll see take place in the rest of uh, the book of Acts. And so what have we seen so far or in this chapter? The power of earnest and continual prayer leading to our hearts uh, or leading to hearts that are content with however God chooses to fulfill His will. We have watched as the Lord... Uh, has overcome the enslaving power of darkness and death and the gods of this world. And we have seen that in his sovereignty, he will bring all the nations that he has made to worship before him. So the question for you today is, how are you participating in God's mission? Are you engaged in earnest and continual prayer? Do you trust that God is able to deliver you and your loved ones? Are you patiently waiting for him to act or have you given up hope? Are you giving him praise for how he is working in your life? Or are you seeking to glorify yourself? The truth is that he is able and he is working. Maybe in ways that you haven't seen yet. Or maybe in the midst of grief and persecution. You may be like me. 
And you may fail to be content and trust Him more often, way more often than you or I would like to admit. But the good news is that Jesus has already won that battle. He was led to death, silent as a lamb before the slaughters. He did not miss an opportunity to give thanks and praise to God. He did not grumble and complain as Israel does in the wilderness, right? As we often do in our wilderness, in our trials and tribulations. So the good news is, uh, as 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 